and welcome to yet another episode of The Dice Are Screaming. Oh, oh. I'm Randy. I'm Mike. And we are the Dice Men, bringing you The Dice Are Screaming podcast. Oh, we did. We do bring you that. I, see, you may not want it. it. Yeah, I, it's... Yep. <laughs> the the uh, low-rent community newspaper of gaming podcasts. Oh, yeah. you know, it's on your doorstep whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hopefully you find something uh, hey, useful to read while you're in the can. Or, you might uh, find an interesting garage sale going on down the street. You know, yeah, you don't yeah. know. It could be some really fascinating community news that you're missing out on. But that's us. We're yeah. on that doorstop every day. Every day. And, like regularity, it's Friday. So, it's the weekend. Hopefully you made it this far. Hopefully you made your fortitude save and you're ready <laughs> for some gaming for the weekend. So... If not, you can stick around with us, and we're going to talk about some topic of gaming interest tonight. So, stick oh, around. I'm pretty, I'm pretty jazzed on this one. I, I, we've been promising this for a while. This was something that we we had meant to uh, touch on some time ago, and today's the day. We're finally going to do this one, and boy, am I happy about it because it, it touches on a lot of classic material. Absolutely, and uh, it's totally uh, in line with a lot of things we talk about with. Uh, the effects of gaming, it's a subgenre, but uh, we'll leave you in suspense for just a little bit longer, and uh, we'll just uh, basically pay the bills here and then get on with it. Uh, thank you all for uh, listening to the Greyhawk. We had some great uh, feedback. Yeah, some nice commentary from people who particularly enjoyed the uh, you know, the Greyhawk setting uh, and have equal fond memories of it. Many right. thanks. And, uh, you know, the Ghost of the Salt Marsh, out, fully out now, and... Uh, Oh yeah, supporting Greyhawk is—it's a great time to get into Greyhawk. So if you haven't, jump on in. It's uh, the water's fine and everything's going good. So yeah, people are getting set to play it live. Yeah, they are. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of good podcasts. I think there's one called "Good Ghost of Salt Marsh" right now. Oh, a, a podcast named "The Ghost of Salt Marsh." Yeah. Oh, they, well, they just—let me guess—they formed one just to perform that much. I believe so, yes. I have not well, uh, investigated. Yeah, I, I thought so too. strongly approve because mm-hmm. it's a, it's bound to be a terrific adventure. I, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing more of the material, you know, openly discussed uh, and, you know, seeing other people express interest in it. So I'm, I'm just happy that something with a tie to Greyhawk and and origin point in the classic modules is getting so much buzz. It's just beautiful, man. Very yeah. happy. And also, uh, just as a side note, uh, it's follow uh, follow Friday on Twitter for the tabletop gaming community. So, if you haven't already, uh, give some likes and follows to some of the people I mentioned. I did a short list this week. I've kind of been remiss, been a little bit busy reading and doing yard work and things like that. Finally, as the monsoon season here in southwest lower Michigan recedes. Yeah, the, the weather has turned kindly and generous, and all of a sudden, all the things that accumulated and need, needed doing but couldn't be touched because of rain, yeah, they're all on, they're all on the honeydew list right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, busy times here in the, our chunk of the Midwest. Yep, so uh, we're going to uh, take a brief break to uh, pay the bills and talk about our sponsor, Anchor FM, and uh, so you can give it a listen there, and we'll be back after the break. So stick around. All right, and we're back. Thanks for putting up with our advertisement. Oh, uh, yeah. Anchor uh, FM is uh, our 
go to for podcasting. Of course, you can get on board too. It's free and easy to download and super, super easy to use. We love our little neck of the woods, man. The Anchor community is awesome. That's right. So uh, we kept you in suspense, such as it can be, yeah, with the title at the header of our we, episode. We've kept you in pretense. <laughs> is it pretense? Not suspense. <coughs> right. We're talking tonight about steampunk. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steampunk. And uh, it's now, a subgenre of cyberpunk. This yeah. really grinds my steam-driven gears. That's right. You know what really grinds my steam-driven gears? People. Yeah. Mm. With all their stuff. Yeah. But yes, here we are talking about a subgenre of a niche of science fiction, which is called cyberpunk. And one of the jabs that's often applied to it is steampunk. Yeah, and that's kind of where we're specifically hitting at this particular moment. Uh, we just really wanted to because, uh, as strange as it sounds, as small of a niche market as it is, steampunk uh is directly rooted to the origins of pulp fiction in the United States. The, uh, well, and to a few authors uh, from around the world. I mean, well, Jules Verne, for instance, uh, 20,000 Leagues Beneath the Sea, you know, with the submarine that, had a, you know, the mysterious, incredible power source that obviously had not yet been properly invented per se, but ultimately became a reality. Uh, that era of science fiction-esque, or rather uh, speculative fiction, uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, with uh, a man animated uh, after being assembled from parts uh, by electricity. Much like one of my old computers. Yes. (laughs) Frank computer. Frank computer. Made from the parts of other dead computers. Well, that is mine now. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got a Frank computer. Uh, but Frankenstein's monster uh, and many other speculative fiction works led into an era of pulp fiction that really we kind of owe the birthplace of fantasy fiction too. I mean, the, the Conan and Cthulhu and other references we made stand in the same era as The Shadow and Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers and, you know, like the early proto-comics that were coming out of the end of the 1930s. Uh, that melting pot of ideas and concepts uh, included things like the, the early appearances of robotic creatures uh, or um, aliens and... Uh, you know, space travel, uh, all with intermingled with technologies that were more familiar to that time. Uh, and, right, we're starting to stray a little bit into the, the department of science fiction, but specifically what we're going to be talking about is steampunk, and to be uh, a little bit more relevant, uh, William Gibson and Bruce Sterling wrote Mona Lisa Overdrive, a collaboration between the two artists, which proposed that Babbage's... Uh, Thinking machine <laughs> uh, would catapult the uh, world into a early information age, and uh, kind of supplanted with uh, the dystopian view of pre-industrial world being meshed with, on um, suddenly the onslaught of industrialization at a massive scale. 
and how these changes would affect the world and all that. Kind of an alternate reality, but it also was put into place by other things, and we're going to talk about that in the effects of gaming. Uh, one of the jabs I was saying earlier was, of course, uh, oh, steampunk. All the angst and dystopian future of cyberpunk without any of the relevance. And that's kind of fair on one part, but that's because, as uh, my cohort and I were talking earlier, there was a sense of optimism out of that early age of discovery, of where science was going to provide all the answers that we needed to society and information that we now kind of enjoy, but and it was also part of the cyberpunk fiction collective. Yeah, we live in the aftermath of that. Uh, the pulp of the steampunk uh, type era, the like end of the 1800s, uh, pre uh, 1900s, dawn of the you know, pre dawn of the 20th century era. Uh, there was very much a sense of exploration. Uh, being constant, like the, the world and what we knew about it was continually changing. Uh, and the assumptions that had once been absolutely universal in the age before mass communications were being undermined in the age of dawning mass communications. Mm. As, as print and other messages and radio could reach around the world, uh, the speed and availability of information was rapidly increasing. And this is pre what we refer to as the information age, pre-computers. Right. But the sentiment was there that it's only going upwards from here, kids. And now, of course, we have a much different attitude. We do dystopian sci-fi, where the world is, in fact, a terrible place, and all of the technology has bought us, you know, like nothing but greater sorrows and uh, greater cruelty and misery. Uh, that was not true in steampunk, and so it, I think it's... It's a window into a different state of mind from a different time that has a lot of value in that respect. Well, yeah, and also, let's not forget that uh, if anybody says there's no uh, connotation between all the modern theories, let's remember that, that cyberpunk is a postmodern genre, and I won't uh, get into the literary antecedents of that, but I will just say that there is a difference between anything after the postmodern era where we started to look at things in a very relativistic point of view, where before we kind of still aligned things as beneficial, that technology, while it had its dark parts, also had very positive parts. Now, of course, entering nuclear war and the threat of uh, nuclear war, more appropriately, I should say, you kind of start to see where science was not really providing the answers that they had promised. The solutions that they had had drawn had bad side effects, you know, radiation. Um, you know, nuclear energy could provide a lot of uh, cheap and relatively efficient energy, but it had a very powerful contaminant that needs lots of care after it's used, and also its implementation can be dicey if it's not properly maintained. So, well, yeah, and look at the, the difference in opinion, you know, when like 30 or 40 years has passed and people have a chance to gauge the results, uh, be like, Hey, we've learned how to spray away mosquitoes. Hurrah! Less malaria, everybody's happier in the summertime, uh, you know, not covered in welts and stinging bites and flies, and, you know, we can go outdoors and have a nice picnic. Uh, Forty years later, oh my god, DDT killed everything! Yeah. My kid has three eyes! You know, distrust of science. Dancing in a dioxin dump. Oh, by the dead milkman. Mm -hmm. Let's go dancing in a dioxin dump. 
Uh, it's getting that my stomach's pumped. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you know, the, the point being that distrust of science has some merit, okay? The, the suspicion that we may not be doing as smartly as we could. Now, when you wipe away all of that experience, that, that hard-won, ugly realism that's like, oh, we should probably be careful before we just greenlight this, you wipe all that away and you go back to the optimism of a somewhat more innocent age, uh, where it's all still in front of you. The discoveries are yet to be made, uh, and in some of the steampunk role-playing games that we have here, uh, it is a fusion right. of, and, uh, well, international uh, and intergalactic uh, beings uh, colliding against one another in an age when uh, it was very much a game of political brinksmanship just then, just as now, but also a crazy, reckless desire to climb every single mountain and to know every single place. And, you know, the, the finger is always pointing towards that distant star going, you know, first star to the right and straight on till morning. You know, we'll find that next amazing place that no one has yet seen and then come back to tell of it. That breathless, crazy hunger for adventure is the heart of steampunk. Yeah, and one of the games that we're going to talk about specifically is Space 1889, a game that uh, came out about relatively about that time, but uh, it was uh, Game Designers Workshop's kind of big, weird game. And, uh, you know, they had done stuff like Traveler 2300 and the Traveler and Mega Traveler, all that. They had done all that before, and now comes out this crazy game of setting space back into 1889. Like, what the heck? And on the back, it says everything I needed to know. Everything Jules Verne could have written. Everything H.G. Wells should have written. Everything Arthur Conan Doyle thought of, but never published, because it was too fantastic. And so, here you have that space travel was, or at least interstellar travel, was afforded by an exotic unatamium type of material called driftwood. Or liftwood. Liftwood, that's right. Liftwood, my bad. Harvested on Mars. Harvested on Mars, and of course, uh, Thomas Edison and uh, Tesla were the pioneers of this early form of space travel. And so you could go to Mars, and of course, the British go to Mars. As well as many other nations of the time, in a colonial bid. Yeah, the Belgians, the Italians, uh, the French, the Russians, you know. And let's not forget the Germans. And of course, they've got to deal with the resident Martians, who, in that distant place in many occasions, have the upper hand. Now, also, they uh, detailed Vena, Venus and Luna. Sorry. And uh, Luna, of course, being the closest neighbor, was the first one to colonize, and that's kind of America's little toehold there. The but, moon. Yeah, just like in uh, that early colonial era, America wasn't as big a player. And, uh, you know, kind of we've got a moon base. Moon base alpha. Yep. I don't know. I, Moon I'm unit. thinking of Space 1999. Never mind, never Moon mind. Moon unit Zeppa. But yeah, there's all these weird creatures and uh, races living on these distant planets. And of course, Venus is the jungle world populated with ferocious, carnivorous, uh, pre-Cambrian-type dinosaurs and all that. Yes, very dinosaur-oriented. So you, I mean, you know, it's... Uh... <laughs> it's it's literally, it lives up to the epitome on the back. Service revolver, hunting rifle... 
and you get to fight a dinosaur in a jungle. That's right, and it's an Eve environment. And I, it literally epitomizes everything they needed to say on that cover. You know, that uh, Arthur Conan Doyle's, the, the Lost Ulust, Continents. The Lost Continents, yes, and all that, uh, was very prominent in this as well. It definitely, uh, they weren't hiding where they were taking their material from, so... Oh, no, and, uh, of Tales course, of Barsoom and you know, all that. Yeah, well, uh, sorry, um, Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, John Carter, Warlord of Mars, uh, that era. Yeah, and they're all homaged in here, and, you know, for the most part, you end up playing British colonists and soldiers and explorers, as well as any other of the nationalities that have a stake in this area. That's all present here. Or really, you know, anybody from anywhere at all. Uh, but, you know, being there through the auspices of working for a government of a particular nation uh, that has afforded you the ability to get out to space. Yep, and, you know, they deal with... Up to uh, including a criminal class, which uh, is highlighted in there that... Uh, you know, oh, yeah. There are some scurrilous characters uh, making... You know, opportunities for themselves. Well, much like Traveler, you know, they used the career system to generate what they needed uh, for an adventurer or a group of adventurers seeking fame and fortune in a new era and a new place. And, of course, weird science prevails, and it's very gear and steamy and all that fun stuff that you would associate with later codified steampunk. But this was before real steampunk, and it gives you a kind of window into where these genres were going. And it's unique in the fact that Space 1889, uh, later, what was it, uh, Girl Genius? Oh, by, yeah. Uh, Kaja and uh, Phil Foglio uh, would definitely be very well-placed in steampunk and uh, several other novels. And, uh, of that, course, it's very is... big in the cosplay community as well. And... Oh, yeah. Steampunk has a huge following amongst cosplayers, which, uh, honestly, the, the tragedy to me, uh, being a literary buff as I am, I, I would so much more love to see a lot of written material coming out in a steampunk environment uh, or, you know, visual material coming out. And instead, honestly, the costume making uh, and the art and design uh, factions of it are thriving. You know, not as much actual material, uh, although a good example would be... Um, uh, what was the name of that anime that uh, I was very fond of? Uh, oh yes, the uh, one with the uh, flying ships. Yeah, that they they were. Mm. Um, yeah, you have the collection here. So, yeah, sorry, we're. It's that uh, pre-weekend funk that we're all in as we're trying to fuddle through our uh, podcast here. Well, in any case, I mean, I, I could reference it at a later date, but uh, the point was that uh, again, an unobtainium type material on a planet, mm -hmm. and these flying warships, uh, and then these smaller craft called van ships that are like planes that don't quite have, you know, they just have stubby little wings to stabilize them. Uh, but it's it's more like levitation that is going on there uh, than traditional propulsion as we think of it. Well, in any case, point being, the technology was very gear and wood and metal and you know, uh, steams and valves and all sorts of piping. Yeah. Uh, and it had a very steampunk sensibility, and yet it was a, you know, uh, battle between nations with political opponents at each other's throats at every moment. Uh, and the world crafting was very steampunk-esque. Uh, 
Yeah, and that's another thing is that steampunk allowed people to, just like with Space 1889, how do you solve getting out in outer space in the late 1800s? Well, they just kind of, it's the aether. You know, yeah. It's, it's, it's just a kind of, uh, it's not how science how we understand it today, but they made up some excuse to get it going and just went with it. It doesn't <laughs> have to work in science. Solar-powered steam ships yes that uh, whose propulsion is provided by uh heating the available water uh and there's actual an aether there's an actual kind of atmosphere out there so yeah. it's very alternative not, and not an atmosphere of course that you can just step breathe. out and breathe no but uh there is something out there that we don't quite understand it is a very alternative and non like look they're not going for the Star Trek where we're going to try to make it sound convincing and avoid contravening physics completely. Yeah, uh, traditional science. Uh, we're just going to go with something that works so that they can yeah. use propellers in outer space. Hey, that works, right? Yeah, why not? You know, Because it fits with the genre of what Jules Verne and all these other cats were writing about at that time. Oh, look at uh, Voyage to the Moon. Uh, yeah. Uh, Miliers' uh, early movie. Um, one of the earliest works of film. Um I can't remember the guy's first name, but uh, yeah. French filmmaker. I think it was George Millier. Uh, Voyage to the Moon, yeah, it's just immensely influential. And there is an extremely steampunk sentiment in that. that uh, the simplicity of the clockwork gear style inventions, uh, the technology is implied, uh, and the, the idea of people walking around on the moon, of course, is... Yeah, as we now know, it's ludicrous. But that's not the point. In that golden age of exploration, it seemed as though everything was possible. Uh, there were nothing but question marks on the horizons, and everybody was excited to find out what they would reveal. And you can kind of bring that back to life in a steampunk campaign. Right, and that's you know really what we're talking about here is that you had robots, you had walking machines like from War of the Worlds that were being explored, and you know, utilized by these countries and various places like throughout Venus, you needed walking machines because there's no real roads and it's completely overgrown. Where on Mars, it's pretty much a barren desert with a few canal cities and, you know, the high Martians and low Martians, you know, the low Martians are more uh, savage and barbaric, thus filling the role of kind of like the angry indigenous folk and the civilized, more enlightened folk who are accepting of newcomers and kind of welcoming new technology and a class of cult a clash of cultures and needs and also exploitation is part of the themes here much like steampunk itself has some uh, tr uh charles dickens and upton sinclair type uh labor and social questions that need to be fulfilled as society is progressing through this difficult time of industrialization so it does fit very well with cyberpunk so that is my rebuke against that little Cheap jab. Oh, yeah. I mean, to suggest that there are no political ramifications and therefore it is pointless. Uh, no, no. The, the stage can be set for all of the great political questions that, uh, you know, plague pretty much any setting. I mean, if you wish to employ them, they are there to be employed. Uh, some of them pretty grand in scope. I mean, the, the questionable morality of the era of colonialization. Mm -hmm. I, I say questionable, but I mean, it was pretty much freaking barbaric. Uh, you know, the, the nightmares of uh, intrusive technologies uh, altering entire cultures. You know, all of these things, I mean, if that's, if 
that's the facet of gaming that will be something your group enjoys, boy, have you got a stage ready-made to reveal these. Right, and the, just because you're playing a colonizer like the British or the Belgians or the Germans or even the Americans in space 1889, <clears throat> there are questions that have to be addressed. You know, huh. just like, you know, the French, any frontier place, you must reach an accord with the natives well, I'm going and to... also put forth a... You have to answer some moral questions as you progress through the game, including I'm... sexism. I'm going to highlight... Uh couple of tidbits from the career paths, aside from mercantile, mechanic, and engineer, and things like that. Uh, detectives, doctors, scientists, big game hunters, uh, you know, bored socialites and reporters. There are also, amongst the criminals, the anarchist. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the uh, there are people involved in political uh, arrangements that oppose the current order and their obvious wrongdoings. You know, you, you can paint your vigilante as a firebrand extremist or a petty criminal. You know, whatever you, wherever you want to go, you can go. And also the Moriarty. Yes, the classic master criminal right out of uh, Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes. Uh, the, you know, cunning manipulator who uh, moves pawns into play and is one step ahead. And also, as a side note, the adventuress who has a dim-witted male companion to cover for her, her beard. Yes, somebody who provides them access into places that sexism has denied them. Uh, so that, you know, this this taxi can get them into the closed doors and things like that. Uh, there's a nod to the fact that that era was, you know, just the Victorian era was overwhelmingly sexist. And of course it wouldn't be a game designer's workshop if you didn't have military careers. Yes. Lots of them. Oh, and the Foreign office diplomat. <laughs> Did he go native? I'm afraid he's gone native. Uh, and and adventures and science. Last I saw him, he was in a grass skirt. Yeah, and also there's a large section on here on making new devices. The inventor class is basically the wizard. When I was in the Martian African rifles, serving the king, they called it long pork. Mm. Never much cared for it myself. Yeah, they give a lengthy discourse on the Victorian area, and they are not shy about talking about the sexism and racism. So those are things that you have to go, and also, as we were just discussing, going native. And they cover historical uh, precedents of people who served in the diplomatic corps who did go native, like Wilfred Skaven Blunt. And I'll let Mike read this, because his uh, vocabulary is a bit higher than mine. Served for 11 years in the diplomatic service, but left to marry the granddaughter of the poet Byron and travel with her through North Africa and the Middle East. Blunt was enraptured by the Arab world, founding a stud farm in Sussex with broodmares given to him by an emir. He bought an estate, Sheikh Obeid, which he referred to as my house in the desert, although it was actually in the suburbs of Cairo. He's, his studied adoption of Bedouin ways, vocal anti-imperialist agitation, and bad poetry made him something of a celebrity in British-occupied Egypt. If he was a poser and a madman, he was good company, and his attempts to provoke the Consul General, Lord Cromer, were always interesting. Blunt's amorous career led to a separation from his wife. She remained Sheikh Obeid, while he retired to Sussex with a <coughs> niece. Yeah, and so... They give historical antecedents to help you understand how these things happened. And, of course, to make interesting characters. You can totally lift this off and dial off the names and 
but this is a character. Well, not to mention anything you've ever seen in any movie that you wish to, you know, pluck and drop into this. Uh, likewise, if you're willing to adjust your expectations and adjust your plot a little bit, uh, the game does leave open the possibility that, I mean, if you're more of a fan of less of the, like, 1890s gentleman adventurer type stuff, uh, and more of the Doc Savage, you know, 45 in one hand, uh, you know, in a clenched fist, uh, ready to punch things out in the other. You could go the Flash Gordon-esque route with your space exploration. I mean, sure. use you the could. campaign tools, invent your own alien races, have an invasion with a force from another galaxy that has noticed our intrusion into space and is bent on domination, and your Flash Gordon-esque character and team... Uh, are, you know, punching out the bad guys and working with the Martians to resist it. The sky is the limit. Right, and I would recommend, <laughs> or if sky. you want to break out of that, uh, Space 1889, Steampunk, the OGL from Mongoose Publishing. Uh, they yes. did a good job of doing some real good games. That's one I would take a close look at. But before we close the book on 18, Space 1889, I would like Mike to read this part, The Scoundrels of Empire, which was talking about a lot of the <laughs> things that where you want to play low-class characters similar to cyberpunk Shadowrunners and stuff like that. Here you go. Oh, uh, they bribed, they lied, they swindled. They lived at the best hotels and drank champagne at 11 o'clock in the morning. When not involved in some sordid financial intrigue, they spent their time making open and indecent love to the maids behind the bars set up at almost every corner. This description by the jaundiced Mr. <laughs> Veer Stent is of the transient collection of British scavengers, shysters, and petty criminals who found their way to any part of the Empire or beyond where an easy living might be made. Here it was Johannesburg in the Transvaal Gold Belt. There it might be the rough ruby diggings of Maurice Lacus. To these adventurers, Victoria's Empire meant only a chance to play by their own rules and flout the laws of others. Interesting. Yeah, so, you know, there you go. That If you want to play a more traditional cyberpunk near to wells there you go. There's your entry into there. And that's, I think, uh, one of the strengths of the setting as a whole is it provided you a large landscape to play out different adventures in a foreign and bizarre environment. Well, I like mentioning the fusion of eras, okay? The, yeah. Uh, the simplicity and crudity... Uh, paralleled against a science fiction futuristic backdrop, okay? But you have the trappings of both settings present. Uh, example being, more contemporary, Firefly. Mm -hmm. Okay, where else are you going to get a train robbery? Uh, you know, people riding on horseback and having shootouts while flying a spaceship and delivering, uh, you know, goods and people from planet to planet for money. Okay, just... Uh, Lasers were not the rule of the day in most of Firefly. It was, you know, handguns and rifles and machine guns. Uh, you know, they may have had advanced uh, equipment by some standards, but uh, the point was that planet side, oftentimes far away from civilization, uh, much of that uh, infrastructure that was available to support and provide these fantastic technological marvels just wasn't there, you know. There's, you're you're left with what you've got to scrape by with, uh, most of the time. Now you can also bring that to life 
in steampunk settings. Yes, yeah, steampunk really kind of pushes the edge. They start out kind of safe by just putting the core players' handbook races in here, but uh, then they kind of go off the rails real fast in the back with Autonoma and, well, the dial... Uh, who wrote The Isle of Dr. Moreau? Uh, was that Robert Louis Stevens? Right, sorry. Yes. Uh, they have the... Um, Newly enhanced versions of Animen in here oh. from that, of course, uh, rather creepy story. Um, it's, yeah, kind of a weird one to put uh, to base your whole genre off of. But when you really think about it, it makes a lot of sense for the steampunk uh, era and also any type of gaming done. But uh, they also include in here, besides the normal type of, you know, there's a fighter type and there's a kind of investigator and a scoundrel type. Yeah, they have an occultist, which, of course, fits into the Call of Cthulhu sort of thing where there's dark alien powers that you can get in touch with, things from the other side. Yeah, the OG steampunk book put a lot more work into providing a better background for a variety of play yeah. with a variety of scenarios. Uh, where you weren't just example. dealing with alternate history. This one, you could create a whole steampunk environment. At the inception of space 1889, which, uh, I mean, uh, what is it? This is the 2000 edition, but uh, was there yeah. not a game before this? Yeah, it was back, I think, in 89. Correct. So that predated the primacy. I mean, the internet was there, but it was not as overwhelmingly oh, yeah, powerful. It was like... Now, some of you may recall the game Arcanum, mm -hmm. uh, which included, you know, both a world where magic was available to you uh, and technology was available to you. You, you could build your Tesla gun if you were a skillful enough technologist. Uh, but the two did not inter intermingle well and began to cancel each other out. So the, the more complicated the technology gets and the more widespread it is, the more magic begins to fade and become difficult to use. So, uh, again, that's a setting where magic and technology crash together, and OG Steampunk has provided... An excellent. Yeah, they give you that. a real toolkit, to be honest. You can tell just about anything from uh, steampunk vampire haunted arcologies to that ever, mankind is forced to live in due to the rampant pollution to, uh, yeah, you know, space exploration or pseudo space, whatever you want to call it, to even other planes of existence that you touch upon. And you bring up a good point, which is that that's another extremely relevant thing in the uh, steampunk genre that it's. Uh, certainly within a Dungeon Master or Creator's uh, bailiwick to decide whether they would like to pick a complicated issue. Uh, when you talk about arcologies, uh, places that yeah. you know, humanity has to live because the pollutants left over from unchecked extreme industrialism uh, have toxified everything else uh, and people have retreated uh, into these places. Man, you know, if you want to talk combining dystopian uh, steampunk with, or a dystopian cyberpunk style with classic steampunk, mm -hmm. you know, where it's, it's years and guns, uh, but it's a dark and unpleasant world below the ground, you know. Yep, haunted by mutants and strange beings that have come into existence by the uh, advent of industrialization and pollutants and other contaminants. Yeah, as they, well as rifts in the world unleashed by dabbling into arcane sciences. Yeah, things that uh, the, the splice between you know magic and technology have 
like open the path to the upside down. No, up, just yep. saying, just saying. You're right. Stranger You're right on there. there. Yeah, that is exactly it. The creativity is limitless. And so, uh, although it may not be everybody's cup of tea, it's an old favorite of ours, especially because it it heralds back to an age when the pulp fiction from which the fantasy fiction and science fiction that we love today, uh, all the stuff we love today, this is its great-grandparent. Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, we, I ended up playing quite a bit of it at, for a spate of time as uh, we ran the Martian uh, United States Expeditionary Marine Corps, much like the Chinese Horse Marines and uh, Gunboat Diplomacy. We were on a uh, small U.S. cutter and uh, fighting for United States mercantile interests, of course, which made us <laughs> enemies of everybody else because American merchants like to get involved in everything. So we ended up having numerous adventures trying to save hapless colonists and other people, you know, doing other things uh, to thwart us. But, you know, we were the Marines, so hey, you know, we were doing fine. <laughs> Leathernecks. Ah. Uh. But, but uh, yeah, but, you know, steampunk is a wide genre, and the sky's the limit. You know, this uh, the OGL steampunk, I can't speak highly of enough, because it's a toolkit. It gives you everything you need. It's up to you to design the world. They don't really talk about it. And sure, you could play it safe with elves and dwarves and other things, but why wouldn't you want to have these animen? Thank you for not calling them animals. And, uh, oh, thank goodness. And, you know, uh, the, <laughs> the automons and... Uh, cyborgs and our steam gear cyborgs and all that stuff you can have it all and along with lovecraftian occultists i mean wow it's a heady mix yeah and how much of one thing you want to represent in a particular campaign is entirely in your discretion that that's that's a lot of material to hand somebody but the parts that appeal to you the most as you set up a area of campaign play and some pre-assumptions about what the campaign will be, that's within your power. You know, adjust accordingly. Season to taste. All right, and so as we close the book on our little session on steampunk and space 1889, we owe a debt of gratitude to the real forebears of the genre, as Mike said early on to bring it full circle, is Jules Verne, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, H.G. Wells. Oh, and of course Mary Shelley. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, um, oh. Uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Edgar Rice Burroughs is a must. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to remember one other, but it's escaping me, so uh -huh. I'll let it pass. Uh, but it, I think we made the point that there's some important, incredibly relevant uh, literary antecedents to this genre that it's well worth harvesting from. Mm -hmm. uh, even if maybe you, you can't quite pitch it to your players, hey, you can't you know, quite get them to play, there's a lot of concept material that, honestly, the more any DM or creative reads, uh, the more tools go into your toolkit. Uh, the, the stuff that you can hijack, because, as we have so often said, good DMs do not borrow. They, they steal. steal. Darn skippy. That's so, right. you know, the more that is lurking around in your noggin, uh, that is unique and original and crazy and out there, uh, the closer you are to having a full toolkit for 
whatever idea you want to make into a game reality. Yeah, and we do spend a lot of time talking about Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder stuff, and those are very, very similar. But well, yeah, they're our favorites. But but you know, there's always other games, and we talk about Shadowrun, which is a big favorite in other genres. But uh, we'll probably be talking about some of those in the not too distant future as well. So stay tuned. But we're going to pack it in for tonight. We've worn out our good welcome, no doubt, and uh, with our rambling discourse, we hope you got uh, some entertainment and learned a few things. And if you like what you heard, or if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, just let us know on Twitter or our Facebook page, The Dice Are Streaming. Yes, we're still active there. I've just been lazy on uh, updating that because usually by the time I get home, I'm ready for uh, bed and uh, also working on other things at the time, taking my free time. been trying to do a lot of solo gaming, so more on that on my Twitter page. Anyhow, oh, so we'll pack it in and may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya. Thank you.